guys and happy Thursday. I know what you're thinking. Amla, it's Thursday. <laughs> what are you doing doing the live show today? And where were you yesterday? We didn't see you live. Uh, yeah, so didn't end up doing a live show yesterday and I'll, I'll get into exactly why that happened. But first, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. As always, we have Taylor in Nashville. I'm very confused. I don't know what's going on. Is it Wednesday? Is it Friday? Uh, we're torn up. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're all over the place today. Uh, and mind you, I'm going to stay in, in good spirits today. But uh, what happened was on Tuesday night, my boyfriend and I uh, were, you know, hanging out, having a good time. And he received the news that one of his friends passed away. Um, and unfortunately, due to suicide, uh, which is really difficult news to, to get, and we sat and dealt with that for a while, dealt with that the next day, and it's just really, really, really unfortunate. So I wanted to open up today's show and just say to anybody who is listening right now who might be dealing uh, with something that difficult, Go and speak to somebody and reach out to somebody, tell them what you have going on. And I can only hope that there are, you know, numbers of people who would flock to you in order to help you. And it's been interesting being a person on the outside watching this sort of happen because uh, this person in particular who ended up taking their life, I wasn't super close to, had only met on, on one occasion. So a lot of the, I guess, pain felt is just peripheral from seeing people who were close to this person deal with it. And as soon as this news was, you know, passed on to other people, from somebody on the outside, you watch this web of individuals who would have done something had they known, would have, you know, hopped on a plane to fly to this person, given them all the money in their bank, all the love that they felt could have possibly changed the situation, and you watch as just this web of people who wish they could have done something is created. So I guess my message for the start of this show is that you all have that web. I'm fully convinced whether it is people who know you or it is complete strangers who would be there to help you in a situation like this. It exists, so if you are dealing with pain, and if you are struggling, reach out to somebody and have the conversation, and have the full conversation. Tell them everything that is going on. I think a lot of people tend to gloss over their problems. They don't want to burden others, and I think that's exactly the mindset that leads to something like suicide or taking your life, but notice and recognize how important it is, and let somebody willingly take on that burden for you because there will be people, whether they are strangers or people who know you and love you, that will take that on for you. So that is the message of today's show. <laughs> and with that, we are gonna go back to what we have always done on this show and we are gonna watch a Jubilee middle ground. I think it'd be a good day to watch people have what we deem to be very difficult conversations, go back and forth, hopefully have a middle ground. And if you leave this show uh, with no other message, leave with the message 
that you should be able to have a conversation with people, reach out to them. It doesn't matter what the conversation is about, uh, do so. And if you're not somebody who's struggling right now or having a hard time, reach out to the people in your life that, that may be or, or have nothing going on and just let them know that you are there for them, that you love them, uh, and that if they ever need you, you are there, okay? So with that, let's watch Jubilee's newest middle ground, former conservatives versus former liberals. Let's do it. Oh, I'm not gonna participate in your delusion. You'll never meet a Republican that uses pronouns. It's just a fact. It's only Everybody the Everybody uses pronouns. Just Everyone some people choose to Okay, well, my pronouns, pronouns now for the rest of the time are pretty princess. That's and not a pronoun. What, what do you mean? Those are not even pronouns. Okay, so what are your Zizay, Zen, Zer, We are approaching the 150th episode of Middle Ground, and we need your help to continue making more episodes. Join our Middle Ground Patreon community and make Middle Ground with us. My former political views were cult-like. Can the agreeers please step forward? I'm walking forward for this one. You guys know that I'm walking forward for this one. It might be a little weird <laughs> to like transition into having a normal conversation after this, but we are gonna do it uh, nonetheless, uh, because that that is life. Um, I, I have a feeling that the general consensus on this uh, statement or you know, what's going on here with, with cult-like behavior, I think you can find it across the board in uh, all different regions of belief and ideology. There are people who subscribe themselves and subscribe themselves in a very dogmatic way where you believe everything or you are no longer a part of the club. I've experienced that. Uh, as, as a leftist back in the day, working at a left-leaning organization. And I've experienced that, you know, moving on into the conservative camp. And there's always going to be groups of people who tell you, you must believe everything we think, or, you know, you're not one of us and you're not part of us. And I think it's, it points out really an inherent issue in human nature that we are so dogmatic and we are so tribalistic at times because guess what? You're not going to believe with everything on one side uh, for, for the most part, any of the time. So you need to accept that people are multifaceted, that you're going to have some left-leaning beliefs, you're going to have some uh, conservative beliefs, and that's okay. And if you happen to be a person that does agree with everything that leftism stands for or liberalism stands for or conservatism stands for, that's okay too. Just leave room for those who are exploring a little bit or who maybe have a little bit here and uh, a little bit there. But Taylor, you were always sort of in the conservative camp. I know we say politically homeless now and kind of like politically non-binary, <laughs> but <laughs> from that perspective, what's your view on, you know, my my side is cult-like? Yeah, uh I was never like very political period. I wasn't really interested in that. Like out of high school, I got super involved in the church though. And like did, was involved in ministry and worked at churches. And I would say like in that very like conservative evangelical Christian culture, I was never interested in the political side of it. But even within Christianity, there's a tendency to 
get dogmatic. And it's just, I think, a human universal uh, thing where you you believe you have the right way of seeing the world and, go, and navigating the world. And there's always the temptation to, uh, to use a, a Lord of the Rings analogy, put the ring on, ring of power on, and use the power to exert by force your views on other people and just get rigid and dogmatic about it. And a lot of my quote unquote awakening was not so much away from the central tenets and values and ideas of Christianity, but of the dogma that I was raised in and kind of having those existential questions of things that did not quite make sense to my mind of ways that things were being done in the church and stuff like that. And so that's how I relate to this question. It's not so much as a matter of politics, but more as a matter of uh, distilling the dogma out of my faith. And that incidentally kind of led me to thinking how you do. And I think why uh, we're a good fit on this show is just I want to not have beliefs that are grounded in dogma. I want to be a free thinker um, and I want to pursue truth. And hopefully that's what's resonating with a lot of the audience today as well. Yeah. And I love that this uh, jubilee in particular is former conservatives and former liberals talking to one another because they have that shared ground of that transitional period of realizing that, hey, maybe my personal beliefs don't line up with the beliefs that I've subscribed myself to or the side that I've subscribed myself to. And there's a little bit, I think, personally and you guys can maybe attest to this if you've gone through your own transition, you have to have a certain degree of humility in making that admission because you have to look at yourself, look internally and say, oh, I may be wrong about this or this doesn't in in fact align with who I am now. And you have to admit that in order to move on to the next side. And that goes for uh, former conservatives as much as it goes for, for former liberals. It's a shared experience and a shared space. So hopefully this group of people is better at going back and forth and discussing ideas because they've been through the transitional period of having ideas that they once thought were correct and changing them. So that may be a silver lining here. I, I was gonna say, I think both are just two separate cults, because, like, <laughs> yeah. which is so funny. And I think also sides have like ironically kind of switched because as a Republican now, I'm like so anti-war. I'm anti-sending money to all these different countries that are not ours while people are sick from the water and children are starving. Anti-pharmaceutical, anti-big government, anti-all these things. And I'm like, that is original liberalism. So I'm like, I think I'm more like independent, but I register and I vote as far right as I possibly can I know as well. I think both sides are very tribal. Yeah. But in terms of cult, at this moment in time, I think the left is more cult-like. I, I was in it for 20 years, what's known today as the woke left, but we used to call it social justice left, progressive left. Known by and, conservatives as woke. Right, but here are some of the characteristics that I think make it more cult-like than perhaps the conservative side. One is that if you had questions, you had to check your privilege, or there was always some line that they would use to get you to stop asking questions, which is sort of cult-like. And then the other thing was there was this encouragement to separate from people who didn't agree with you. And so I slowly over time like whittled my world down to just people who were in the social justice left. And there was really, for people who left, which I did eventually, which was a long process, it's a bit like you become an apostate. You, you, you don't just, leave or have different opinions it's it's like once you leave you can't come back that is a cult it's like scientology well i (laughs) yeah i mean to what she just said i think that is very much true at least in my own personal experience i feel as though uh the 
extreme nature of being ostracized from your said community, I think was far worse uh, coming from the radical left than it is on the, the radical right. If you have your own personal experience with that on the radical right, let me know in the chat down below. But it was extremely dogmatic. It was really, if you do not toe the line of every single thing that is on this list, if you even have a question that would insinuate that you didn't agree, you couldn't ask the question. You couldn't come forward with it because you first, you would never get an answer. Second, you would be completely ostracized for even asking the question in the first place. And that's crazy because a question could lead you to the very same conclusion that the person you're asking has. But because you're not able to even have an environment open enough to ask the question and to explore the conversation, it just completely degrades the movement itself. It degrades the ideology for the person who is now experiencing skepticism. So what you, in fact, do when you don't allow for question and open conversation is you can, for lack of a better word, radicalize people in the other direction. Because when I had questions about leftism and, you know, so woke dogma, everything from immigration to transgenderism to questions about race relations, Nobody would answer my questions. So what did I have to do? I had to go on the internet. I have to go find other people who are willing to answer those questions. And then you find like the Larry Elders and the Tom Souls and all these different people who are actually willing to have the discussion and willing to have the discussion with people who disagree with them. And then you go, oh, this side is far more open. This side's actually giving me real answers. This side seems to be led with more fact than emotion. I'm going to move over here. And I think you can do a pendulum swing where you move really hard in the opposite direction, and then suddenly it, it starts to even out as, as time goes on. But I'd never felt more cult-like behavior than when I was on the left and Again, I could be true, could be not true. I'm telling you, that's that is most definitely how I felt, and most definitely what seems to be shown on the internet the most, and what I'm seeing on the internet mo the most right now with this conflict, uh, you know, Israel and Palestine. I think we can see very strong movement in a, a particular group of individuals who, you know what, by and large, I can agree with coming after others and saying, you must take this stance and you must, uh, you know, say X or, or put this in your bio or do whatever. And the forceful nature by which you come at these people actually ends up destroying your entire movement because it invalidates real things that are happening when you go and attack people who are maintaining neutrality, or who maybe have their own personal feelings but don't feel comfortable sharing them. Really doesn't work to be cult-like in any way, on the right or the left. Yeah, anytime you're, it's a shameful thing or something that is could be perceived to be threatening or just a hush-hush a taboo, uh, just to bring your honest questions to the table, I think is a giant red flag of whatever group or uh, party or uh, thing that you're involved in. You need to be able to ask questions honestly. And I've kind of always had this maxim. And again, I talked about my faith journey earlier. Like I had this maxim that if if this whole thing is true, then God's not afraid of my questions. And similarly, if the ideology, if the party, if the uh, group that you're a part of is right and has the right positions or whatever it may be, then they shouldn't be afraid of honest questioning. Now, there, there is such a thing as dishonest questioning and manipulations and all that, but coming to the table with honest questions should always be well-received by people who are truth-seeking and by people who are not trying to control you, but really trying to help you on your journey in seeking the truth. Yeah, most definitely. And I guess I will, uh, 
we'll point out maybe a, a right-leaning example of this that, that's happening right now. I don't know if we can describe it as, as cult-like, but it's it's starting to feel more and more like that. I'm watching like what's happening between Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens. You'd think that like as two adults, you'd be able to like sit down and have a conversation about this. It seems like Ben is more in the perpetrator of that not happening than Candace is, but you're watching it and going like, what is going on here that this cannot be solved in in some way shape or form by you two having a discussion and agreeing to to disagree and it's just wild to watch it all play out and i'm sure you know it is good pr for for all involved is it's getting a lot of eyes and stuff like that but i mean it's just so strange to me the vitriol and cult-like behavior that i'm witnessing on the internet and i was talking to a friend earlier about this i feel like i with everything going on it's never been more mentally taxing to be online and to watch like groups of people just bark and bite at each other on this issue, that issue, the other, and it's just nonstop in a constant cycle on the internet where you just know it can't be good. It can't be good for your mental health to be watching this stuff. It cannot be good to be consuming it. But luckily, this uh, this conversation has maintained its respect so far, and. Uh, Hope that continues. We're only two minutes in, which means I'm talking too much, uh, and we're going to keep watching. Because <laughs> I came from a really religious background, and there's a lot of shame around believing something other than what you're taught. Because of that, it makes you feel like you can't express any questions without being told that you're going to hell, you're going to be exiled from your family. And so when I started thinking a little bit outside of the lines of what I was always told, family members literally to this day will not speak to me, will not look at me in family gatherings where you're just supposed to be like, you're my family, aren't you supposed to love me endlessly? And in turn, they've exiled me because I don't believe the things that they believe. And I think that's horrible. Yeah, Yeah, by the way, I am ironically like, pretty far, known as far right in my community, and Mm -hmm. then ironically very leftist at times, because you can't please everyone. But I have never cut off a person because of their political beliefs in my life, but everyone on the left did it to me. I will say from my own experience, but coming from the opposite. So especially when the George Floyd incidents were happening, it was kind of, you know, a consensus that you should be BLM, rah, 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 all cops are bad. Mm -hmm. And just me questioning that within my own circles, it's like there's a lot of pushback and it feels a little awkward because I'm just, you know, it's literally just asking questions. If I did have to, you know, point a finger, I would point it at uh, the left or the liberals for feeling attacked by words that are said on the other side. Because there's not a lot of, you know, conservatives that are like, oh, you said there's more genders. I'm offended. I'm like, I'm personally attacked by that. (laughs) That's literally only one side. Yeah, (laughs) Can the disagreeers please step forward? By the way, I recognize Hunter because I follow him on TikTok. He is a pretty strong debater, at least in the the clips that I I watched, and I believe he's left-leaning. I don't know if he'd uh, self-refer to himself as, as a leftist or not, but I've seen his stuff. I honestly think that both sides have very tribalistic tendencies at a time. As far as the question, like, were my beliefs personally cult-like? I don't think that I was in a cult. And I mean, even, I think you mentioned that, like, um, 
conservatives don't get offended by speech as much, but conservatives get offended by pronouns. They got offended by Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> they get offended by all I agree. kinds. Of, really stupid things. <laughs> yeah, they get very they get very triggered also. Yeah, and for me, leaving the when I left the right, that was something I noticed because I started off as like anti-SJW, triggered feminist <laughs> stuff, and I'm like. The right is kind of becoming this way too, a little bit yeah. with some things, like very mm -hmm. offended and triggered. I would like to push back a little bit about conservatives being offended by pronouns. I think it's more so that they are being forced and uh, to acquiesce to the pronouns of other people, which is, you know, a form of you know controlling speech. Well, don't conservatives get really mad like when the whole pronouns and bio thing? No. I think you have a few different camps of people in, in that regard, and I think what both of these guys are saying could be you know, simultaneously true. I think there are groups of conservatives that if they even see like they, them, it's like the, the top's blown off, like how dare you, this is so crazy, you know, it doesn't exist, and then they you know, come after people in that sense. Then you have another group of people who says, you know, it's totally fine that you are referring to yourself as they, them, or you want to use neo-pronouns, or whatever the case is, you just don't have to come to me and tell me what I have to call you. I'm going to adhere to reality, and uh, in, in this sense, you can call yourself they, them. I'm going to call you what you actually are. And then I'm, I'm sure there's another group of people who uh, are conservative in nature, but listen and, and respect, you know, people's pronouns that they choose and say, you know what, if you want to be called they, them, even though I don't personally believe it, I will call you they, them. I sort of teeter in between two different camps. Like if I was talking to uh, a trans person one-on-one -on -one, just for the sake of I guess brevity and making things convenient. I'm gonna refer to you as your chosen pronouns. Like when we went over the Jubilee and there were all these trans people going back and forth, for the sake of just pure convenience, I'm gonna refer to you as what you're calling yourself because it just makes it easier to have this conversation and to explain what's going on. But also, I will not have my speech compelled in any way, shape, or form. If I choose to use somebody's pronouns, it will be on my terms and at my discretion. So. I think there's all different types of groups of people. It's hard because when you have these conversations, you have to get into hasty generalizations and say conservatives are like this, leftists are like this, and there's not a lot of room for nuance in a 38-minute video. So <laughs> that's what we're dealing no, with. No, and we, we just watched another Jubilee video where one of the uh, participants who was on the conservative side and who I by and large agree with, who was an older man, uh, was getting very emotional and angry and sort of mm -hmm. unable to keep himself composed when he was... Uh, bringing his opinion to the table about, I think it was child transitionings and, and things like that. And it just never bodes well. And you talk about this all the time to to allow emotion to overcome your your ability to speak and your reasoning uh, with people. To It's okay to be passionate about issues, but like funnel that passion into trying to be more persuasive. And to be more persuasive, you have to keep a cool head. And I think that, you know, this so this idea of like people being triggered on both sides, like generally speaking, I yeah, let's not get triggered. Let's keep our our wits about us and and not freak out. But also, mm -hmm. I do think there's there is a little bit of a distinction um, in my mind, and may, and you, people can correct me if I'm wrong on this. But it seems as though conservatives are generally in de defending the tried and true status quo, the the things that have made civilization work, uh, and then on the left. People, they're usually trying to bring in new ideas and and change yeah. the the more rigid things that we've held on to maybe too long or just introduce new new ideas into the fore, uh, whether they're good or bad, it remains to be seen. But uh, for me, when I hear conservatives are triggered, it's like, well, they're they're responding to a the an 
a new idea or the, I would say, an aggression from mm-hmm. the left to, to bring in this new language and, and insisting that this be imposed on me. And then the, the, the conservative can appeal to science in this case or the, the tried and true things of civilization. And the leftists uh, that are stereotyped as snowflakes or whatever usually are appealing to their emotion, their need for safe, a safe space, their need for uh, to be affirmed in some capacity. So they're more appealing to feelings to justify their position, whereas the conservatives are, are in my mind, uh, more appealing to logic, history, and facts. Yeah, that's a good distinction to make because it's totally different when you're creating the issue that is now being triggered. <laughs> like, it's totally different uh, to to create an issue and to, like, think up pronouns out of nowhere and then try to enforce them on people than it is to, like, respond to somebody who is moving against what has been traditional. Uh, so, yeah, that's a very, very valid point. I get what both of you are saying because my thing is, like, why would I ever care if you have pronouns in bio, but yeah. I will never call you by I think them. it's more that people just view it as a tribal signifier. So yeah. in the same way that someone might view, oh, that person has a cross in their profile. Yeah, I mean, faith. like, I've, I've definitely, <laughs> like, if I see pronouns in someone's bio, I'll roll my eyes. It doesn't mean that I, like, same. hate yeah. the person or not, but, but it is going to signify to me. In 95% of cases, mm-hmm. I'm going to know exactly what a I, whole I know exactly host who you are, almost. Are. So I'm just yeah. going to stay away from you. going to assume that but, you know a yeah. bunch because someone has pronouns though? in their bio. Because I'm not going to participate in your delusion. And my thing is, like, you'll never meet a Republican that uses pronouns. Well, there's many things that you could assume. And you could use the very same, you know, uh, example that that other woman just used. If you had a cross in bio, I can assume that you're religiously adherent, that you're Christian, and that that comes with a lot of other uh, beliefs that, that are paired in with that religion that you could assume one has. Now, we know what assuming does. It makes an ass of you and me. But, you know, nine times out of ten, you'd probably be right about the person who has the cross in the bio. Just the same, if I see somebody with pronouns in bio, I can, uh, you know, relatively make the assumption that you uh, adhere to gender theory ideas. You are more open-minded when it comes to things like gender and sex. You could even extrapolate from that that maybe uh, they're a leftist, which means that they're on the same race bandwagon as other left-leaning people. There's a ton of things that you could you know, see pronouns in bio and assume this person might believe. Are you always gonna be right? No, but it's just probability at that point. And the probability is that that is a left-leaning person who believes in other left-leaning ideas. Simple as that. Just a fact. It's only Everybody the uses pronouns. Just Everyone some people choose to acknowledge Okay, well, my pronouns, pronouns now for the rest of the time are pretty princess. That's and not a pronoun. That's not... Well, okay, hold on. <laughs> I hate this, like, everybody uses pronouns, as if in, like, the last few years we didn't completely upend that system to where people can just pick and choose whatever they want, and now they can throw in they, them, which is completely grammatically incorrect. And if we're using leftist logic, which I imagine he subscribes himself to, pretty princess could be pronouns because you have neo-pronouns now. So unless he's saying that he doesn't adhere to people's neo-pronouns, which is now a, a pretty big thing within, you know, like, woke leftist circles... Uh, if he's saying that, then I guess pretty princess is not pronouns, but you'd be denouncing an entire group of people who think that their pronouns are Skittles and Starburst and all this other stuff. So I, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's not to be aggressive. It's just to say that there are many people who refer to themselves uh, with pronouns that fall under the neo category that are completely grammatically incorrect. So a pretty princess works for me if, if we're all <laughs> using these rules. 
Yeah, I think that's another important distinction to make in this conversation is like there's kind of like preferred pronouns where someone who identifies as trans now they identify as the the opposite sex of what they were were born as uh, prefers to be called by that sex. And then there's neo pronouns, which are all the, you know, Lorax, mm. Lorax and Starbursts and all the things that we've seen on TikTok and and all that. And so uh, someone raised that. Uh, I made a poll in the chat and said, would you use someone's preferred pronouns? But it didn't occur to me to make that distinction. <laughs> so I'm curious, what's your position on this for me? Um, I remember meeting somebody that I used to play volleyball with who 100% thought was a woman when I played volleyball with them and <laughs> later learned that uh, she was a Thai like lady boy who had been living as a woman for however long and totally were passing and i met them as a woman and uh only ever referred to them as yeah. you know she as a woman and i continued to do that after finding it out now if somebody asked me to call them starburst or call them they them even that's where i might draw the line um in that situation because now you're asking me to use this new language or whatever but and then also like if it's if you're not really if you're just doing it to mess with me or whatever, if it's, if you're not really like presenting convincingly as opposite sex, then I, it, it becomes more case by case. But I can think of a situation, I guess I'm trying to say, where yeah. I would use the preferred pronouns, but not so not necessarily neo pronouns. I wonder where you're at with that. Man, it's just so situational. Obviously, I, I don't think I'm ever, I don't think I have the mental capacity to use neo pronouns for somebody. If you tell me to refer to you as Skittles, I, I'm sorry, it's just not happening. Uh, and I'll, I'll just flat out tell you, this is not out of disrespect to you. It's just not happening and I'm not doing it. So we can decide how we want to proceed. Do you still want to have a conversation? Or, you know, like there's the door because I'm not going to deal with this today. <laughs> but uh, if if you have somebody and you mentioned sort of passability, that's the underlying thing there. If you are a passable trans person who looks like the gender that you identify as, most people are going to refer to you in that way. And it's just a simple fact of reality. People are not walking up to Blair White and calling her he him because Blair White passes as a woman for the most part. So. It's just going to be a case-by-case -case basis. I'm sure people will slip under the radar. And I'm sure a lot of people feel very strongly that you should never refer to somebody like Blair White as she, her. Always refer to her as he, him. But at some point, it just becomes difficult and taxing on the human mind <laughs> to uh, do that when somebody is managed to to pass and you bring up the the lady boy thing yeah you go to thailand man you're gonna have a really difficult time figuring <laughs> yeah. out what people's biological pronouns are so that's just a reality that we all have to confront and deal with uh, so yeah but no on the neo pronouns i'm so sorry for all the lorax skittles starburst people out there Okay, so what are your Zems or he, she? Yeah, I think okay, that pause. Sorry, um, I want to pull it back to cult. Yes. Okay. Circling back to the cult idea, we kind of straight and went to pronouns, which I think is again, it's like a kind of a hot topic. The media really makes you believe that one side is more of a cult than the other. That's all subjective. Some of the people that were that are on my side, it's kind of. cultish, but it doesn't it doesn't mean everyone is. Well, let me give you it. an example, like because I I agree with the, with you that the media is is fomenting these like right side left side yes. cults. A hundred percent, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so like when I quote unquote like left the left, yeah. it was because I had begun to question the policies that were surrounding the whole COVID situation. Mm -hmm. And I experienced cultishness on the left and the right for sure. Mm -hmm. But what, what I found was if there were people who were willing to listen to me, they were like 95% of the time they were on the right about like, mm -hmm. 
I think the government is trying to control us. I think that they're trying to force us to do X, Y, Z things. I only found ears on the right, except mm-hmm. in maybe one or two cases. So like for me, I was like, like when they when the prompt is like, oh, the the left is or, or your former side is is a cult. I like that was that was very visceral to me. Okay. There was a section of the right that I could talk to, and they didn't feel like there was a section of the yeah. left. Well, you can always. Gosh, it's so difficult, man. It's just like it shows how. This like splitting of human beings into two separate groups has really destroyed uh, our sense of self, uh, the way that we think about things, the way that we converse, because it immediately just becomes, I don't know, like something driven into the machine that makes it not work anymore and uh, gets the cogs all clogged up because there are so many things that left-leaning and right-leaning people would agree on and specifically in the realm of what he's talking about not necessarily trusting the government and institutions even though we view that maybe in through two separate lenses the sentiment there is the same so imagine if people were able to converge and have a discussion about what where their distrust lies and why it lies there and you know how powerful you would be as a collective group of people who has this distrust and is following their skepticism and asking questions, but does anybody want that? No. So yeah, they're going to pitch you against each other any chance that they can so that you're squabbling over ridiculous stuff rather than looking up at the people who are profiting off of what you are squabbling about and going back and forth on. And, you know, as, as this breaks down your families and your friendships and you're cutting people out because of their toxic political beliefs or what side they're on. All these people are just like making money off of our backs as we are dealing with this day to day. So it is so refreshing to see a group of people who technically represent two separate sides. They all sound very, very similar to me. And where we might have small social issues where we disagree on how to treat them and how to deal with them, I think by and large, uh, you will find that there is much more that we agree with than anybody would ever let on or let us know. We did get a $50 super chat. I'm going to read real quick. This is from Movement NZ. Says, why, hello there, Amala and Taylor. Thank you very much for being yourselves and for keeping your minds open to others and their opinions. Your approach to these discussions always comes out as incredibly well thought out. Stay golden. Thank you. Oh, stay golden. I love that. And I hope that is a reference to to the outsiders. I think it's stay golden, the outsiders. But uh, that's a brilliant book by S.E. Hinton. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you need to read that book or watch the movie. There's a movie adaptation that's quite good uh the outsiders by se hinton uh anyways i i digress thank you so much for that comment and for your appreciation and support we we really greatly appreciate it just talk to me about it sometime if you want i'm more than happy to talk I'm to you about the COVID stuff. thank you my friend see do you lo- i love that they're just saying you know what you have COVID skepticism you can sit down with me and talk talk about it and i hope it's genuine and that they really are believing that and that they would actually do that because it's it's great and once you we kind of create these barriers in our brain of like, oh no, it's just not gonna go well, or this issue is gonna pop up, so I'm not even gonna bother to talk to somebody who I disagree with, but bother, do it, do it, uh, and just challenge yourself. And yes, it could be uncomfortable at, at times, and it might not go the way you want it to, but it is so worth it in the end. We are gonna skip the next prompt, uh, because it's about will Trump win the next election, and I'm not in the business of making predictions that often, so. Let's watch. Democrats are more compassionate than Republicans. Ooh, this is a tough one. Democrats are more compassionate than Republicans. Let me think about it. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna pull like a, depends on what you mean by compassion. 
I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> That's what Jordan Peterson would say. Okay, mm-hmm. but if I'll, I'll I'll separate the two the two different versions of compassion that I have going on in my brain and give you guys separate answers. If we're talking about uh, compassion in sort of this emotionally led, sympathetic, empathetic type uh, type way where you are constantly worried about who's struggling the most or the person at the bottom of the ladder or you know how to uplift the impoverished and the suffering, I would say that Democrats are more compassionate than Republicans are. If you're viewing compassion in, I think, a more complex way of, yes, I feel empathy for those who are struggling, but I want to place them in the best position to move out of their struggle themselves, or I I want to place them in a position of empowerment where it's not necessarily me picking up the person and bringing them up the ladder, I teach them how to climb, that would be the more Republican right-leaning stance. And I think a lot of people view that as not being compassionate, and they'll throw out that like pick yourself up by the bootstraps uh, line, and it can be valid in some sense, because if you're going to tell somebody to pick up, put themselves up by the bootstraps, you either are going to have to give them bootstraps to pick themselves up by, or you're going to have to teach them how to make them. And if you are just throwing out that line to people and not recognizing that they might not have bootstraps to pull themselves up by, then you've lost the, the compassionate part of your argument. So it just depends which one you're talking about. I view a kind of tough love compassion as being uh, more Republican than Democrat. But if we're talking about that softy, emotional sort of compassion, then Democrats take the cake. I agree. And since you invoke Jordan Peterson, I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Um, But he talks a lot in terms of, you know, chaos and order. And then he invokes the archetypes of the masculine and the feminine as the masculine is usually associated with order imposing sort of structure and and you know order on society and then the feminine is associated with chaos and that's like let's uh let's introduce new ideas let's uh let's be very compassionate and such and i think that that's uh you can draw those parallels to kind of the Republican side and the uh, Democrat side or the conservative and liberal side. The conservatives tend to be more on the archetypally masculine side of things where they're wanting to preserve the order of society um, and preserve norms and and things of that nature. And uh, people on the left are generally more on the side of the uh, feminine archetype which is looking to make sure people are taken care of, make sure no one's left behind, make sure the systems aren't leaving people out and uh, uh, treating them unfairly. And the I think that neither one is absolutely correct. Uh, mm-hmm. Out of balance or toxic <laughs> masculinity on one side, you get into sort of a tyrannical uh, system, you get into the patriarchy. And then on the other side, if you have toxic femininity, you have way too much uh, compassion to where it is, like you said before, short-sighted, where we we sacrifice bigger picture, uh, higher order levels of compassion in order to address this one issue that's right in front of us right here. And you can't build a system that works and has any uh, longevity to it um, or is scalable Mm -hmm. whenever you're only ever trying to put out the fire of compassion right in front of you. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I don't think that one is inherently right or wrong. And so ideally in society, you have both sort of held in tension, keeping each other in check. And uh, whenever one becomes too dogmatic, holds too much power and you know you start to get into authoritarianism or you start to get into 
authoritarianism from the other side. Uh, they kind of, in a dem functioning democratic society, you're expressing those grievances, you're voting to get back to a place of sensible progress. And uh, in a discussion like this is hopefully uh, an example of what that should look like. So and anyway, not to go super deep on all the typical <laughs> Jordan Peterson stuff, but you opened a can and I love I love some of that stuff. So I thought yeah. it, I, I had to say it. Yeah. So, man, so it sounds like we would both step back for this one and say, you know, not necessarily uh, not. We don't necessarily think the Democrats are more compassionate than Republicans. I'm curious to see where uh, where our subjects in this video lie. And you know I hate it. You, you know I don't want to be sitting here. <laughs> I will say, I do think the left tends to be more emotional. I would assume that that would come with feelings of empathy. And I will say, people on the right, I am not actually very popular on the right. Um, as soon as you disagree on certain things, I mean, the death threats, the You're hate. Woke. Yeah, oh, oh, so you're liberal now. And yeah, I'm like, and there are certain things like abortion's a hot topic. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, it's, uh, it's, a little, it's a little crazy and it's a little too far. I would hope that in the future I become a more middle voice in the Republican Party. But I do find in general, like people on the left, I think because you're more emotional, inherently you're gonna care more about people's feelings. I'm not really one to care that much. That's why I'm on the other side, you know what I mean? But I'll give you guys that credit. <laughs> I actually agree with what you're saying a lot because they've even done like literal brain scans and they can actually predict people's political beliefs based on their brains up to like 80 to 90% accuracy. Like it's insane. And Brain scans of people taken while they performed various tasks and even doing nothing accurately predicted whether they were politically conservative or liberal according to the largest study of its kind. Okay, well. So I think, well, you're right, that dem <laughs> people on the left do tend to think more so, I think it's with their left side of the brain, um, that has more emotion involvement, which can be both a blessing and a curse, I think, mm -hmm. at times, because politics are also about factual information, and so feelings are obviously not all that matter, um, but yeah, Democrats do tend to be more compassionate at the end of the day. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if accessing the side that has more emotion actually makes you more compassionate, because I could see the, the other argument being made that rage is also an emotion uh, and feeling, you know, enraged or angry towards other people. If you if you have that uh if that's more easily accessible to you as a person based on your ideology, how does that factor into the compassion that you feel for other people? I think we're equating being emotional with being empathetic, and I don't know that that is necessarily true. I think there's a lot of people, left, right, and center, that feel a deep amount of empathy and compassion for others and let that lead the way in uh, the decisions they make, or they feel it and they can access that part of their brain and they know what they're feeling in that sense. But some of uh, uh, us more, you know, like logically minded or uh, analytically minded individuals will acknowledge that that's how they feel about something, but move on to what is logical and factual. And if you have people that go from left to right or from right to left, that means that we're all accessing, you know, similar areas in, in order to get there. So I think it's just about what what takes the cake at the end of the day? Like what overpowers the the other? And yeah, I would love to see that study and see whether or not rage and anger factors into that left side of the brain being more active as well.
Yeah, and I think a wiser way to approach that information, uh, I, you know, I've never seen the studies or looked at them in depth. It seemed like they quoted it accurately and it mm-hmm. it, it rings true. I mean, I know I've, I've heard about uh, Jordan Peterson's, again, invoking him. He talks about the psychometric uh, ocean test where they test you in agreeableness and conscientiousness and uh openness to experience and like people on the left generally score much higher in certain psychometrics than people on the right. And those are generally thought of as innate characteristics. So I I see what they're saying there. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So maybe, maybe we'll see. I want to see what the disagreeers have to say once they walk up as well. Uh, And I, when I I was on the left my whole life and like I was literally an emo kid. So it's like funny being on this side now. Now I kind of like, I'm a lot more analytical about things. Mm -hmm. I try to cut the emotion as honestly a survival tactic at this point. Mm -hmm. I agree with that too. Cause for me in my personal journey, it was very close to that. Like my mom used to tell me that. She's like, you have like zero empathy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I feel like as I went through my journey, not just like transitioning in politics, but just like I went through my own kind of self-discovery journey. And I feel like empathy really came into play there and I as I started to listen to stories from people that had lived experiences I was like wow you know I really do feel for them and I can put myself in their shoes and mm-hmm. I I feel like now I'm even maybe an empath like I'm very much you can like, totally gain it and you can totally lose it yeah yeah totally yeah. it's up to you <laughs> yeah but I do feel like mm-hmm. since that I feel like you know I am so much more compassionate now towards you know humanity in general and people and as I gained empathy I became more liberal. <laughs> I think Democrats are much more concerned with like social programs that help people who aren't themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that they often are the leaders of the civil rights movements of our time. Um, and I think those things and, and leading policy with people first, I think, is a bigger priority for them. I mean, I not- what does people who aren't themselves mean, though? This is the thing, right? If you get, if we really focus on the language in that sentence, I think we are more focused on you know, social issues and helping people that are not ourselves. What does that mean? We're all human beings. So I don't know what he means, but I, I'm imagining it's going to be things about uh, gender and affirmative action and helping people of color or whatever. But that would not be a good metric to measure compassion as uh, we don't agree on the premise for that compassion. Uh, a conservative person would say, well, I don't care what you look like, who you are, or what your background is. I think all people should, you know, uh, be able to succeed or gain opportunity where oftentimes the left breaks it down into these categories of race and gender and things like that. So what does it mean to help somebody who is not like you? I don't know. And I think a lot of times conservatives might not support the social programs that they place forward, but it's not out of uh, hate or lack of compassion for the people you are attempting to help. It's because they look into the policies with, you know, the the more analytical you know, brain and say, oh, well, this is not actually going to help people. You're, in fact, doing the opposite. You're hindering them. You're, you're keeping them uh, in a place that is not going to bring about uh, flourishing or, or success. So I'm not going to support this. And it's not because I hate those people or I cannot empathize with them. It's because what you're doing is not helpful. So it's just difficult. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll just say real quick, the, the statement that you need to help people who don't look like you or, you know, sort of the accusation that Republicans or people on the right are less willing to support people who don't look like you kind of has baked within it a an assumption that is staked on a worldview that is one that divides the world into people that are oppressed based on their immutable characteristics um, into levels of oppression. And you get into the intersectionality and identity politics and all that stuff. And so even the very question and the way 
you're, you're bringing that to the table framed a certain way. Yep. Whereas traditionally we approach the, the question of how do we help people who are not well off in this at this current time from a perspective of all people are created equal under God and adopt and with inalienable rights. They have the ability to uh, pursue life, liberty, and the, and the pursuit of happiness. And we should uh, inset, create the proper incentive structures for them to uh, advocate for their own interest. Um, and so there's kind of a separate conversation to be had there because that's where within that framing, you can say, well, we we tend to, if we're only focused on the, the high achievers and only focused on people who can advocate for themselves, we can forget about people who aren't doing well or for whatever reason. And there's room for that, that discussion. But whenever you're framing the entire question on the basis of these oppression structures, the, the, the only solution that is baked into your framing of the question is tearing down those oppression structures. And that we can't get anywhere. That's just back to the old Marxist framing. And yeah. um, I think that's, that's a fundamental disconnect that we're seeing in a lot of public discourse these days. Yeah, like I'm trying to think of a good example. Like if somebody came to me and was like, hey, we're going to start this like charity that gives baby formula to, to black mothers. And I would be like, oh, well, no, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not going to support this. And, I, and they'll say, I have some compassion. <laughs> and say Like, you don't care about struggling mothers. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. I totally care about struggling mothers. I empathize with that. Take out the black part and then we're good to go. Like, you can go ahead and do that thing. And then they say you're, you you're like you lack compassion and you don't care for people who who aren't like you, which is just where we get. Pug down. If we took out all the identity like BS that's going on right now, I guarantee there would be so much more uh, just agreements on everything that's going on. Oh, goodness. Not to say that Republicans don't have empathy or compassion, I just don't think it necessarily leads their politics. Okay, disagreeers. So, um, Jonathan Haidt has a great book called The Righteous Mind, which I think everyone on this... Mm. You hear the name Jonathan Haidt, you know she's onto something. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, let her cook, let her cook. <laughs> panel would love it, probably. But in that book, he's trying to figure out... I think the subtitle is Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And he divides morality up into different types of morality. One of those types, the one that liberals and conservatives mm. have in common, is the care-harm principle. They both care about people. They don't both don't want people to be harmed. But... The difference is that they have different definitions of what's going to harm people and what's caring for people. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting when I started leaving um, the left. I thought, oh, Republicans don't care about people. That's why they oppose raising the minimum wage. And it wasn't until I started listening to other points of view that I realized, oh, they oppose raising the minimum wage because they think it's going to harm people because they're going to get fewer hours, fewer workers, mm -hmm. people are going to get fired. And so it's not that it's not that we. Um, disagree liberals and conservatives on the why like we agree on that why we should we should care for people we disagree on the how i agree with that 100 percent um but not but but <laughs> adding more to that is my uh, way of showing compassion would be to tell someone that pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like there you have more potential, you can do this. As opposed to someone saying that, okay, the government should step in and you know support you and do X, Y, Z for you, um, which in the grand scheme of things isn't going to benefit that person. It's gonna teach them that they can rely on a bigger being to, to be you know, their 
support system. But if you learn how to pull yourself up, I think you can be more equipped to go throughout this world in a successful way. Can't both things be true? I don't feel like liberals are telling people that they need someone to pick them up and that they can't do it for themselves. I think they're saying that there's that there's inequalities in the world and that there's structures in place that put people in a position to where they can't get the life or the things that they want, uh, the things that they deserve, and they, they can do both at the same time. You can pick yourself up and you can accept welfare. But and I think, I think that implying. there's a lot of programs that people have benefited from. Even just be the ability to feed their kids. It doesn't mean that this mom is all of a sudden going to not work because she's getting welfare. She's probably already has two or three jobs. Talking from... I don't know about like the whole two or three jobs thing. I've never seen like stats broken down on that. I, I know that is something that isn't invoked quite a bit. And if it's true, then there's a discussion to be had there. Uh, but there is this sort of general sense, at least I get in, in hearing about leftist policy, that we do want the government to take care of a multitude of things. And, you know, welfare and, you know, EBT, food stamps and stuff like that, that's very different uh, than I would say other policies. Like, let's do affirmative action in college or, you know, certain corporations like, uh, wasn't it? Uh Oh my gosh, American Express and all these people saying, oh, we're going to give loans out to black people first or to people of color first, and we're going to prioritize them in, in this way. And just different policies that I feel go beyond the nature of simply giving somebody basic necessities and laying the groundwork for them to be placed in, in a better position. I think those are two different discussions. And if you look at just the depth at, at which welfare has harmed a, a lot of people and the extent to which it goes, a lot of it, when you look into it, is going to be you know left-leaning people advocating for it. So I think there is a healthy balance. I'm not anti-welfare or anti-helping those that are not necessarily in the position to provide for themselves and especially their children. And I think there's many other countries outside of the U.S. that do uh, what seems to be a phenomenal job in helping people. But it's just difficult. When you when you look at the U.S., which is just like a country like no other, with our population size, the different demographics of people who live here, all the different issues that we deal with as a country, it's hard to have a, a hard and fast rule as to how we deal with it, which is why uh, liberalism, leftism, whatever we want to call it, and conservatism balance each other out. And that's why you kind of need the two people to argue back and forth about what's good for others on the basis of, of welfare and social programs. Because I'm not anti-social programs. I think there's plenty uh, that, that could be instituted or plenty that we have instituted that should go on, but maybe they need fine tuning. Uh, if you're a person in a down and out position and you need, you need help, you, I would, I would expect that the government that you're paying taxes to would be capable of of helping you. And I think, again, this is another issue where left and right could agree if we weren't so stuck on the other issues that we're arguing about right now. Left and right, I think, can look at the world right now and go, why are we sending money to to Ukraine? Why are we sending billions of dollars? Billions of dollars. Why are our corporations sending and, and government sending billions of dollars to Israel? Why is that happening right now? And I think for the most part, if you pulled people or surveyed them on that, they would say, absolutely not. Use it for our issues here on, on the ground in the United States. Now, what issues in particular? That might be where we start to, you know, pull the gloves out. <laughs> but on that general basis, we agree. So I don't know why we can't just come to the table and have... A conversation about how it should be used because if I'm paying taxes I expect to benefit from that payment or if I'm not the beneficiary I expect at least another American citizen to to benefit from the taxes that I'm paying
and uh, they're not, so. From my own experience, I think if I'm being told, as I was, that I am oppressed and that there are systems against me, I am not going to have the same capabilities of lifting myself up from that if I'm maintaining the mindset that I am oppressed and that I can't do something. Instead of saying that I could have done better, I'll be like, oh, the system's against me. I am black. I feel like black people are told not that. They're told they have to work twice as hard, so they do. Mm, I don't think that black people don't try because they're told that they're oppressed. I think that they are told that you're going to have to do more because of discrimination yeah I think um except that's not it, it's it's just in fact not the case of course there are going to be black people who hear the the narrative that we have today and they're going to go okay now I'm going to hustle even harder there's going to be a group of black people who do that there's also going to be a group of black people who go F that, I'm not gonna do anything because this system is pit against me, so why should I uh, do anything whatsoever? And they're just gonna say stagnant. There's gonna be another group of people that not only are they gonna say stagnantly, but they're gonna say, you owe me something and I'm entitled to something based on how I was treated in the past, which is why we have all these conversations surrounding reparations and affirmative action and things that we believe ourselves to be owed based on what has happened in the past in this country. So it's just hard to just talk about people as these general groups when uh, you know, actively, there's other groups of people saying the exact opposite. And still, we have all these policies that are put in place specifically for black people. So are you really having to work twice as hard if you get the foot up when it comes to college, you get the foot up when it comes to job applications, to bank loans in some corporations? Like, at what point do we say the, the, the playing field has been evened and not even that, not even that it's been evened, that you're now, you know, a few steps up on the ladder in comparison to your white counterparts. When do we make that admission? Mm-hmm. In terms of like, you know, uh, compassion, I, I, I think that like on, on the right, there's more like a, a tough love kind of thing where it's like you have to do this for yourself we can't do this for you but we want to we want to like we want to encourage you to like take initiative and you can be whatever you want to be and i think you know on the left it's like well we need to help everybody to you know realize their full potential i think both of those things can be compassionate Mm -hmm. in just in different ways Mm -hmm. and and i think i think to a certain degree you need you need need both mentalities like we you know i think we need to find middle ground <laughs> and uh, and say that on, on both sides are finding compassion I guess in their in their that's why I step forward yeah 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 if you if you don't have the balancing act between the two things really do fall apart because you can have this side that continues to push forward this narrative that everybody can help themselves and uh with that mindset, you can forget about people who are struggling or you can become disconnected from people who are struggling and you just don't see the cracks uh, or the chinks in the armor. So you need that other side to point out and go, hey, no, look at this group of people over here. They're struggling in this way. Whether they are right or wrong, it is important to have that you know, tuned in so that you can be aware of the citizens in your country that you could be failing. Now we can argue back and forth as to whether or not the failure is true or to what degree it is true, but you need the people who are gonna point out those who are becoming marginalized within your system. And it's, you know, the whole point of our democracy when it was created, I don't know that it still adheres to uh, the ideals uh, through which it was created, was to focus on the minority and make sure that the minority of of people uh, were getting representation and could be heard. So I think we lost the plot on that one, but 
that was the purpose. That's what we need to be focusing on. Uh, you know, if you have a good section of people are, who are doing well and successful, that's great. What about the people that aren't and how can we help them? And that's where we, we disagree, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Changing sides was traumatic. I'm not walking forward on this one. Personally, for me, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I know a lot of people like say, you know, it, 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 did it change my entire mindset? Yes, it did. Uh, but I think that happens for a lot of people in life, whether it's in politics or, you know, some other worldview that you hold near and dear when you're young and then it changes as you age or you gain some experience. I, I could see how a lot of people could find it to be traumatic. You probably lose friends. It creates risks within your family. There's fighting. There's arguing. There's your own sort of skepticism towards everything now that you've discovered that you were so confidently wrong about something and you can feel like, oh my gosh, the rug's been pulled out from under me. Or you can be like, thank goodness, uh, there's a new floor on the ground <laughs> and there's something new to look at and there's something new to to learn about. And, and this time, let me try to do it right. But also, uh, you know, there's a depression that comes with realizing how fallible you are as a human being and how easily you can be wrong about something. But there's also this just alleviating factor to it all, a relief in the fact that it's okay that that has happened and it's there's there's somewhere else to move forward, there's something else to learn. And you, you learn so much about yourself, you learn so much about the world, you learn to have conversations, you learn at least where some of your blinders are, you start to recognize it in other people. I think by and large, it's a huge win to have your mind changed on any subject. Whether I agree with you on how your mind has changed or not, it is a, a really cool thing to be so confidently wrong about something and have to discover that you are so confidently wrong about it. <laughs> Yeah, and they call it red pilling. My mind's going to like when Neo wakes up uh, in the real world after he realizing that he'd been in the Matrix. And of course, that's something that is just inherently traumatizing. But there's also at the same time as you're getting this uh, crumbling beneath your feet of your entire worldview, everything you thought was true, uh, you're also getting the truth. You're getting mm -hmm. closer to uh, something that is real and you're standing on your own two feet as a person, uh, mentally, existentially philosophically, you're closer to something that is, is true. And th that realization, I think, is rewarding in of itself. And, and that that sparks an adventure. So I think so long as you're continuing to try to hold on to and, and prop up your worldview when it's failing you and when your own intellectual honesty is telling you that this, this whole thing has holes in it, and it's not going to uh, sustain, it's not going to last, uh, then you're going to experience more and more cognitive dissonance. And you're going to probably be more irritable, more sensitive, more easily triggered, as we say. Um, mm -hmm. But whenever you that process actually happens, and you kind of give into it, and just say, okay, no more assumptions, no more dogma, I'm not taking all this stuff uh, at face value, I'm going to it's, it's sometimes it can be a painstaking process of kind of rebuilding. Where's the firm footing uh, existentially on which I can plant my foot and the ground's not going to give way beneath my foot. And, you know, speaking from my journey, like with, with the, I don't, I don't want to call it deconstruction because that's not really what I went through uh, by today's standards, but just with my faith and stuff, that was, that was kind of the, the process. And the, the cool thing about all that is when you are bought into dogma, you might look like a strong believer, but in reality, your your faith 
politics or your adherence to the ideology that you're subscribing to is actually pretty weak because it's built on a house of cards. You're only as strong as the whole collective thing holding together. Uh, but whenever you step out of that and you're building your worldview big brick by brick and you're investigating all these claims and you're you're getting down to the facts and 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 with your own existential uh intellectual honesty as a north star and as a guide you come out of that so much more confident as a person and as a mm-hmm. human being and a stronger uh adherent to the truth and to to your your worldview is now firm beneath your feet and it's something you can go confidently throughout life with and uh hopefully that's the that these conversations lead to more of that Yep, hundred percent. And you will be so much, I think, calmer. You you never see somebody more flustered than when they're like backed into a corner, and you can tell that they know they're wrong, but they're like they just don't want to make the admission uh, because this is it's a painstaking thing to do, and it's not fun. Uh, it's, it's acutely uncomfortable, but you got to do it sometimes. It was very, very, very traumatic. Um, I was, I've grown on the belief, you know, that, you know, black people are systematically oppressed, and that does a lot for a young person's perspective. And when I started, you know, listening to the other side and I started to dismantle that within myself, I felt like my whole life was really a lie. Not only that, but I was also a pretty big ally of the LGBTQ community. And then seeing, uh, Transgender and transgenderism dismantled in front of me was also very discomforting because I have um, transgender family members and I was very pro uh, LGBTQ and it's just feeling that like everything's just crumbling down. It, it took me uh, a lot of time to cover through it. So it was, uh, I remember the feelings very vividly. I mean, I have a different perspective because, again, we kind of are on different sides of that spectrum. Um, I was raised really militantly in religious and political ideologies my entire life. And when I was 20, my sister was killed in a car accident. And um, because of that, um, and that extreme trauma that happened that had nothing to do with my ideologies, um, it allowed me to open up my eyes to the struggles that other people were going through because I had never experienced something of that devastation before. So I opened my eyes to like, what else is going on that I'm not aware of, that I've been in this bubble being told that you know no one else is oppressed. I was just told that they weren't real and that I had to be steadfast with my beliefs and if I questioned them, then you know there was this fear and guilt associated with it. And it caused immense amount of trauma, trauma that I'm still desperately working through to this day. I'm sorry for your loss, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because we're on different sides, supposedly, mm-hmm. but um, we have a lot of similar experiences because uh, the social justice or woke world, I was in it for about two decades. I worked with comedians who also were woke and, and pushed woke beliefs in their uh, comedy, and I really was a true believer in it. I thought it was about ending racism and sexism, and when I started to question it, it was like, your whole world crumbling. I lost a lot of friends, friends. Mm. Um, 
they weren't friends, they were allies. That's the way I think of it now. <laughs> I um, ended my career and changed my whole perspective. And I think the reason it's so traumatizing to use that word is because it's not just like you're changing one opinion on one issue. If you think of your belief system as like a house, you are literally um, bulldozing your whole house to the ground. She said something so good in there when she's talking about losing friends, because a lot of people refer to it as losing friends when you change your mind about something and suddenly these people don't want to talk to you anymore. She said, I don't view them as friends anymore. I view them as allies. And when you think about the word ally, that allyship is contingent upon a shared belief. So you are not allies if you no longer have that, that shared belief, that shared goal that you're working towards. So you're not losing friends. You're using you're losing allies in whatever said movement that you've both decided to subscribe yourselves to. And if you find yourself surrounded by a bunch of allies rather than friends, maybe not 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 abandon these people that you you share your allyship with, but go and look for people who are are true friends, which means that their relationship with you transcends your political ideology and the, the movements that you claim to be working towards in, in your life, because friends are very, very different uh, when compared to allies. And starting over with mm -hmm. brick by brick, what do I believe about this thing? Let me, I don't have an opinion yet on that because I'm trying to read about, you know, I, I had mm -hmm. limited my, myself in so many ways of what I was allowed to listen to or allowed to read or, you know, within that cult, there are people that you just don't listen to. I had never listened to a lot of conservatives. So well, and that's yeah, a problem in and of itself too is, um, I think to have a good um, understanding of just society of people of both sides, you have to be able to listen. I think not being able to have to inquire about why someone believes something that they say and then have a confrontation about it is why there's so much division. I think something I've learned through this whole ordeal is that anyone anywhere on any side that tells me not to ask questions, mm -hmm. I'm going to immediately ask questions. Of course. Like, of course. You, you know what to. I mean? And, you should be able to. Yeah. You should be able to ask questions on either side and just not feel like there's gonna be daggers thrown at you for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I might not necessarily agree, but I'm allowed to hear what you're saying. Yeah. I don't wanna shut anyone down. Like, freedom of speech, it's, you're allowed to speak. I'm allowed to disagree. These people are awesome. They're having such a great, <laughs> this is a great discussion. I think we'll do one more prompt after this one. I'll let the disagreeers come forward though. I was on the fence with this one because my experience wasn't necessarily traumatizing, but it was definitely really uncomfortable. Um, my entire family are all like staunch Republicans, Trump supporters, and I'm one of the only ones that have actually branched off of that and away from that. And so I was silenced pretty much because I was getting a lot of pushback and I was getting a lot of hate and kind of being, being bullied for my views and for speaking out against them and what they believe. I feel like that's the one thing we have in common. I don't think all of us had a beautiful transitioning like I would right. like to put it in a positive way it was the worst time of my life I lost literally everything which is weird because I always feel like I've been the same Emily and as soon as you put politics in it you're like this different person I'm like you guys it's me I've always been this person but I will say like on a positive note like I lost everything and I'm so happy I I did. I would not have my boyfriend, my friends, my career, my spirituality. I mean, it was the hardest and best thing that's ever happened to me. And if people yes. go through that, I think you can either be a victim or it could be the most hardest, most beautiful thing you ever go through. And I mm -hmm. could not be more thankful. I feel very, very I lucky. I think for me, it was less traumatizing and more empowering. I think knowledge is power. And I think mm -hmm. 
when I started, I grew up, same as you guys, very, very religious and conservative, tightly knit family um, and community. And there was just a very limited um, allowance of what you could believe. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a very limited view of what America was, what America represented internationally. Um, and as a queer person, it was also, conservatives were not super welcoming. Um, and so for me, leaving that space and realizing, oh, the United States is not the beacon of hope that we wish it were internationally and queer people are allowed to be happy and, and fulfilled. Um, it just, to me, it felt like freedom and it felt like, oh, I now see how America became the world's strongest superpower. And there's a lot of issues that come along with that power um, and with the freedom we have, it comes at the cost for a lot of other people around the world. And I think getting that information and knowledge, it made me feel like my eyes were opening to the real world and not just what was happening in my community and in this country. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't necessarily agree, disagree with everything he said. It's just the lens that he looks through the world, uh, looks at the world through. I I can't get behind, which is just so, it's so interesting to hear. When we're viewing this, I I feel like the word trauma is thrown around like way too much in our society now, and maybe I'm feeling it particularly uh, today because of the the news uh, I discussed at the top of the show. But all of this sounds so trivial to me. It sounds like so like utterly nothingness but of course when it's your your life and you're living it and you're the one contending with these ideas and you have people who don't want to speak to you or arguments breaking out it feels like it's your entire life crumbling but when you hear it I'm just like oh, you're not gonna like at the end of the day when you're you know you're at the end of your your life or you know whatever it is we're all experiencing right now you're not gonna be like oh man that time that I went from left to right was really just the most difficult time in my life you know obviously it's different for for different people and I'm sure you can go through very uh, traumatic experiences in admitting some of these things to family members and friends but at the end of the day like dude we're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, let's do one more. Do, 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 do. We're going to do the final, I think, statement here. I'm still aligned with certain politics from my former political beliefs. You get on the ballot as a third party yeah. right okay. now. Yeah. Okay. I am still aligned with certain policies from my former political beliefs. I'll walk forward for this one. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you dig hard enough uh, for anybody you'd probably find uh, some beliefs that are not shared by the side that you claim. Uh, so yeah, I think there's plenty of like liberal slash leftist beliefs that I still hold. I think I'm, I'm open to uh, social programs. I don't really care, uh, you know, what you do with your life, who you love, who you sleep with. Uh, I just love that you, you love somebody, so that doesn't bother me in any way, shape or form. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's tons. I'm sure they'll get into some that will remind me of others that I also agree with. Plus, we've pointed out a lot of things throughout this show, as you've been watching, that I feel like we have a general consensus on between the two sides, but we get bogged down in the details and can no longer agree. Being anti-corporation, uh, skeptical of the government, wanting to prioritize the people in the country you live in rather than sending money uh, you know, overseas to all of these foreign conflicts that, that are happening, I think for the most part, we can genuine, uh, generally agree on that. So there's, there's plenty of middle ground. <laughs> two people stayed, oh, three people stayed behind. I know the Trump said policies, behind. but I'm definitely still okay with certain 
things that are generally seen more as like the conservative thing. I sometimes do agree with conservatives about like people being too sensitive, for example. Like I think that's definitely a problem or the cancel culture thing I think is a um, totally like a fair issue that is like a very real problem that can be talked about, so yeah. I think I, when I thought of policies, I was thinking of like, I immediately went to the economy because, you know, why are we, why are we going so far overseas and billions, trillions of dollars go overseas, but mm-hmm. there are people that are literally like outside of Starbucks starving. And I'm like, where, what's going on? Like, why can't we help this person? And that's where the conflict comes because I'm like, hold on, wait, this is a more conservative idea. However, it's also a humanitarian, which I believe is like the root of it is yeah. we just need to get to like a common ground with that. Yeah, that's literally that's me. I'm like America feel. first. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say like make America great again. Like that's not that's not, that's not that. old school Bush, <laughs> Bush conservatism. No. You know what and I mean? It's funny like, I'm like yeah, not... why are we worrying about them when like there is people like literally starving in front of me and I'm right. still pro-choice. That's an extremely liberal thing in my community. Um, and other than that, I care about the planet. I care about the animals. I care about, oh regen- I care about regenerative farming. I think that should be the biggest soil. issue being discussed right now. Yeah. This, the soil is, Agreed. we die without it. And that yeah. is something not many people on the right are touching. And those are huge issues for me. Great point. Uh, and I think the right is sort of, you know, hopping on that bandwagon and moving more uh, in that direction. I mean, we, we all know the right is very much anti-Big Pharma. So that's a, a huge thing. And I think through that and other avenues, we're finding out just how uh, a a small group of people who own these major corporations are literally just controlling everything from uh, your pharmaceuticals to your food to the media you're consuming and your entertainment uh, to social media, all these different things. I think... I, at least I hope, I hope we are on the precipice of making what will be the most significant discovery uh, of all of, you know, human existence, at least in, in our era, that these corporations are taking advantage of every single person who is living on the earth right now. Every single accessible person, other than the tribes and lands they cannot touch, but I'm sure they're working towards it. They are playing a hand in your life and are puppet mastering what's happening right now. Now, I think we're on the precipice of that discovery in like just a, a large sense of just everybody coming to this conclusion. I hope we're also on the precipice of action towards stopping this from being something that is allowed. Uh, because I think if you, we, if we, I was to get like conspiratorial and draw up a whole map of all the problems that exist within our world, I think I could lead it back to a few, a handful of corporations that are just, just throwing gasoline into the flames uh, of our entire world. I mean, I, I can't think of a conflict right now that they are not in some way, shape, or form contributing to. And hopefully, you know, if we can manage to get over left versus left, right, this, you know, we hate this group of people, I hate that group of people, whatever, real change could could occur. And we have to get over our own uh, selfishness and comfort, too, which is a difficult thing to do. I don't even know how the cameras that I'm speaking to you right now through are, you know, probably contributing to some sort of devastation happening somewhere else in the world and lining the pockets of the people who are responsible for this. So how we do it, I do not know. All I know is there's an issue. (laughs) That's all I know. Yeah, and yeah. like getting yeah. back to like indigenous cultures and yeah. letting letting the indigenous nations they know that, what they're doing. They know and it, we destroyed and, it. Well, exactly. <laughs> we have a country, a territory 
-hmm. Puerto Rico, that's literally impoverished in, 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 in crumbles due to all the natural disasters, and yet we deny it. And the better we help ourselves, the more we can help them. I, we gotta get I, our shit straight. I think that, um, I came out here to say I still hold a lot of the positions I held on the left, yeah. and it's kind of funny because I think what's left and right has changed. We don't even know what's up and what's down anymore mm -hmm. because I always thought when I was in, in the left for 20 years, you know, I marched against the Iraq war. Um, I was anti-corporations, anti-Big Pharma, anti-war, and now I feel like things have switched to such a degree that it's, it's more of the right who's voicing those concerns when it comes to mm -hmm. questioning Big Pharma, questioning corporations. And so I don't even know if that's accurate to say I hold opinions that the left holds because I don't know if they hold them anymore. So I don't agree with um, any of the values that I previously had. I used to be a black supremacist, black supremacist. I used to be anti-American. I used to be a feminist. I used to be an ally. And as I've collected new information and... Uh, I don't know how to say his name. Is it Javen? Javen? I don't know how to say his name. I, I'm just gonna, I have a feeling he's in the midst of a pendulum swing right now. I have a feeling no. that he is where I was maybe like a couple years ago or you know a year ago where you've just discovered you know the, just how deep the lies go on the side that you're on. You swing really far and say like, there's absolutely nothing from that time that I can identify with or keep with me. And then you slowly start to just become a little bit more even keeled. I can still sense, even though he has a very calm demeanor in the way that he's speaking, there is a, there's a strong sense of resentment there. And that's okay when you've, when you've been like lied to or you feel like you've been lied to, although, we can get into a whole another discussion as to whether or not it's a lie if somebody truly believes it. But when you have that feeling, it, it feels like everything is crumbled in front of you and that somebody was responsible and somebody pulled the wool over your eyes. It's very, I liken it to, you know, Dorothy finding out that the Wizard of Oz is just some crackpot old guy who's, you know, standing behind a curtain. When you figure that out, you're pissed, man. And he can conceal it with his calm demeanor. But... I think it's there, and obviously I don't know him, so what I'm saying could be totally false. But I have a feeling that, like, if you ask him in a few years from now whether or not he has some sort of leftist beliefs or left-leaning beliefs, the answer will be different. Now, he was asked specifically, do I still align with any of my former beliefs? So maybe he was extremely, extremely radical, and there's really nothing there to, to find, but maybe maybe there's just gonna be a time where that changes. Um, evolved my understanding of the world. I am now pro-American. I see the alphabet community as an acronym for sexual perversions. I see uh, feminism as inherently misogynistic and offensive, honestly. And I yeah. see uh, my past black supremacist ways and a lot of pro-black things as very racist. And uh, so it's a flip-flop and I'm Used to be pro-choice, I definitely not. It's obviously the murder of unborn humans, and I just think it's crazy that we don't see that. And there's no way I could ever go back to holding those beliefs uh, because it just would be wrong. Never say never, because <laughs> you've already <laughs> changed once. Oh, never. Um, I don't see. There you go. Never say never. There's again. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm. Uh, yeah. 
a perpetrator of this, sometimes if you say things like never or always, things like that, it's probably, you're more than likely going to be wrong. Like you're just asking to be proved wrong. So I could sense a little bit of resentment. I, I should have just let him keep speaking because now it's undeniable. There's, there's undeniable yeah. resentment in the way that he thinks and that's okay. It's okay that he believes the things that he believes, but it's very, very clear that I think he's on the, he's on the upswing from whatever it is he was coming from before. Yeah. I don't really hold any conservative values. I'm sure there's some you could find that I'd be like, oh, that's not terrible. Um, I don't really hold a lot of democratic values. I consider myself more a progressive populist. <laughs> um, so I think both sides have failed this country and the people in it massively. And I think everyone here actually kind of agrees with that. Um, but we continue to bolster up the two political party system. Um, mm -hmm. I think, like I said, neither of them have worked. Our country is eroding and deteriorating. You can't blame just one party because every eight years the uh, White House changes colors and it's blue and now it's red and it's blue and it's red. Mm -hmm. Congress flips back and forth and neither party has been able to consistently stay in power because they both suck. So we get one, we hate it, we switch, we hate it, we switch. Mm -hmm. So I tend to think it all needs to be kind of wiped away, rebuilt um, and rethought. I think the experiment has failed. I can get behind some of the sentiment of, of what he's saying, but there is this uh, just deep cynicism I, that I'm hearing that I, I'm not quite getting behind. I can understand why if you're a young person living right now, you're looking around at the country, what's happening with, you know, uh, you know, outside of our country internationally and being like, everything is falling apart and it's eroding, I think is the word that he used. But there in, in his whole talk that he just gave, there's no recognition of progress, no recognition whatsoever that right now, if you are living in America, you are living the best probably possible life that could have existed in, in human civilization. Really, if you're a human living right now, virtually anywhere uh, that is, for the most part, civilized, you are leading a life that humans before you couldn't even fathom having. So it's kind of it's kind of difficult to make the assessment that everything is eroding. I, I understand that there are lots of problems, and I do agree the two-party system is not uh, benefiting us in its current state. Do I think it needs to be completely erased? Not necessarily. Uh, tons of fine-tuning and tweaking. <laughs> tons of it. I don't know an alternative, so I can't speak to what that alternative is. And I think so often people with this revolutionary mindset uh, they dream of everything being brought down and, you know, condemned and, you know, taken out of its place, but they don't have anything to replace it with. So that's where my exactly. head is at. What are you going to say, Taylor? Yeah, I mean, when he says that the evidence that the experiment has failed is because we keep flip-flopping the parties that's in power, that's the evidence of its success. That's the peaceful transfer of power between opposing political sides is mm -hmm. a hallmark of a successful democracy. So the idea that that somehow undermines the, le the legitimacy of uh, our country or its, its founding or anything like that, it's just it's literally the exact opposite of the conclusion that he's drawn. And this is, you know, the same guy earlier who said something to the effect of like, freedom comes at a cost, talking about the cost being at the expense of the, the liberty of queer people or whatever it was. And the irony struck me that it's like, yeah, the, you're sitting there 
in this country, a free person with the rights that you have to speak and denigrate your own government uh, because mm -hmm. of the cost that was paid by people who fought for your freedom. Yeah. So the idea that you can just sit there and like saw off the branch that you're sitting on is, is very short sighted. And yes, to your point, the revolutionaries mindset like this is you're not the first person to think that oh, this, the country in which I'm living has flaws. The system under which I am living has flaws. If only I could tear it down, I would replace it with something better. I and those right. who think like me would re would replace it with something better. What was it a few years ago with the during the BLM stuff? We had those protesters in like Chaz in, in Oregon who made the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Mm -hmm. And before uh, they, they were given their own government, they made their own little utopian state inside of uh, the downtown Portland or Seattle or wherever it was. And within a matter of weeks, uh, they needed food coming in to be delivered to them. There was rampant crime. Things were on fire. It was dirty. Um, it was just a complete and utter disaster. And to say nothing of the revolutions throughout history, like the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, we've seen this time and time again, Mao's Cultural Revolution in China, uh, the way Hitler came to power. These are all revolutionaries who thought that they could replace the current system that they were living under uh, with something better and ended up committing absolute massive atrocities and genocides uh, because a lot of that traces back to fundamental flaws about human nature, flaws in the thinking of those people who did not have the humility to recognize that there may be value in things that I haven't earned yet. There may mm -hmm. be value in the wisdom that's been passed on uh, from centuries of enlightenment ideas from civilization that and it's like, no, no, it's, it's year, this is year zero. It starts with me. It starts with my understanding of the in inherent flaws here and I'm going to make it better. It's just, that is a, that is the exact mindset that leads to totalitarianism and uh, atrocities. So yes. I'll get off my soapbox. No, no it's a hundred percent correct. And I was, as you were saying all of that, I was thinking of our founding fathers and like the continental Congress and how seriously uh, these men took their position in the creation of the American government and of the American system. And these were men who sat and agonized over how you could place this country in the best position to, you know, listen to its people, to have, you know, the minority have a prevalent enough voice to make sure that they weren't forgotten in this country. And these men literally sat there and were thinking all day and night about the mistakes that they were making, how they could be forgiven for those mistakes, and how they could lead with humility in their power that they had over the choices that they were making, the policies that they were creating. And, you know, the American transgressions aside, that sentiment is lost. I don't think we have politicians out there that are going to bed at night agonizing over whether or not they've done their job correctly or they've actually fairly represented the American people and our fellow citizen. And it's just not it's not how they think about their their power anymore. The men back then, um, and I don't want to use this to, you know, paint a broad brush over all of them, but literally in taking on their positions of power thought, I don't know if I'm capable of doing this. I don't know if I'm the person that should be able to do this. Are you guys sure that you think I'm the person who should be making decisions on your behalf? And when have you ever heard a politician say that? Ever. <laughs> Nowadays, you've never heard that. They all come forward with this idea that I know what's right for our country and I'm going to do the best thing. And when I'm elected, I'm going to be, you know, the, the best thing since sliced bread. And they never 
are. So this like egotistical, I know what's right for everybody and everyone mindset never works out. And these are the very people that should never have positions of power uh, and should never be able to influence policy. But unfortunately, they are always the ones who are. Uh, and it's just a devastating thing to realize and watch, man. Just sucks. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to get into Super Chats. <laughs> All righty. Let's see here. Uh, Let me get my little bubble up. There we go. Hello, hello. Uh, okay. Sup, my dude starts us off today. He says, Amla is a proud tattooed woman. Can you explain why a lady got enraged today when I complimented her tattoos? All I said was nice tats. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know what somebody would have. Maybe she heard something totally different than what you said. <laughs> and you guys can think. <laughs> Yeah, nice tats sounds an awful lot like something else. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe it was just a genuine misunderstanding. I don't know why somebody would be upset about that. I cannot give you an answer. I'm, yeah, you, I actually think my theory is pretty, no, I would never be offended by yeah. that by that compliment. I think my my theory on uh, her misunderstanding what you said is standing strong. <laughs> <laughs> Occam's razor, yeah. most likely explanation. Um, <laughs> RP Awareness Month says, hey there, gang, sorry to hear about your boyfriend's friend passing. Other than that, Amala, I'm sure you will be happy to hear that I have to reduce my 304 rantings due to my recent terrible vacation. Uh, last week, I dropped my phone, cracked the screen, got it fixed, then went to the phone. Then the phone went in the hotel pool, got a new phone on Saturday, went to Orlando EDC and got it stolen. Now I have a cheap one. Wow. Taking a beating there in the technology department. Yeah. I guess no, no three, no three hundred four rants in the no wake of that. I guess we'll patiently await uh, when you get back on your feet. <laughs> yep, he's gonna come back with a vengeance after all that. <laughs> uh, Isaac Gorski says the price of liberty is virtue. The left embraces sin and treats themselves as their own gods. No morals. The only way to defeat sin is with virtue. I don't know if I completely agree with that. As I said, I have some left-leaning beliefs. I don't. At what degree do you become, you know, a left-leaning person? I don't know. It's kind of difficult. I don't. I don't necessarily think that they have lives led by sin. But obviously, I'm not a religious person, so I don't even agree with the premise by which the argument is is made. <laughs> But that's just me. To each their own. <laughs> that that's, that's your assessment. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said for virtue and strength being like things that you you need to just having strength, just having a naked power struggle is going to devolve into tyranny, right? Mm -hmm. But having strength with virtue and the ability to uh, adhere to first principles, adhere to values of quality and, and liberty and all of those things. Um, that is how you have functional society. And you were talking about politicians a minute ago and how they lack virtue now and are only interested in their power and in inevitably it devolves uh, and that, that just has a corrosive damaging effect on society. So mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, there's there's more work to do with the, the framing of the rest of that, but at least on the on the topic of needing people who occupy positions of power to have virtue or even just citizens to have virtue. I completely agree with that idea. Um, Isaac again says, isn't it ironic that the left teaches people that they should get away from people who don't agree with them, but get mad when you are willing to get away from them because they don't agree with you. 
Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of hypocrisy to go around, but that is a, a blatant example of exactly that. The encouraging of like people to cut out toxic individuals in their lives is one thing if like they're actively traumatizing you or abusing you. It's another thing if they just have differing opinions from, from yours. And it's a great disservice to separate yourself from people who have differing opinions because you just make your own echo chamber and you're never going to be challenged or be able to confront the inner workings of your beliefs. Kevin Chapman says, hi, Amal and Taylor, love y'all. This is off topic, but do y'all support gender affirming care morally? Should it be legally banned? Is it helpful? Uh, I don't think it should be banned. Like if you're an adult and you want to do that, uh, I view it the same as being a woman who wants to get a boob job, you know, th these are uh, operations to to you and your anatomy, and we allow people to do that in other realms. Now, obviously, it's more extreme than just going in and getting your boobs done. But if you're an adult who wants to do that, who am I to tell you what you can and cannot do in your body? I could try to dissuade you from it and say, here are some, you know, facts and, and things uh, and maybe a different perspective that may lead you to a different conclusion. But uh, people are going to do what they're going to do. I don't think kids should be able to do it. That's like, you can go ahead and knock that off the table, and uh, I guess that would be a ban of, of sorts. You unlock that right or privilege at 18. Yeah, I kind of, have, I mean, I'm, I'm on a similar page, but I would say if you're asking specifically about, like, do I support it morally, I go back to, like, your your maleness and femaleness is an essential part of your nature. I mean, as a Christian, I believe you're, you're made in God's image and you're made male, female. And so kind of rejecting that, um, I don't think it's it's what's best for you. But at the same time, I don't want to have you legally not allowed to do things uh, because, you know, even I go back to, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to get down a little Christian rabbit hole here, but in the Garden of Eden, one of the first things God did was give people free will and give them the choice. And you can't coerce people to do things and, and expect that to be a sustainable uh way to build a society. So I think people should be free to make that choice if they if they want to, but I don't think it is ultimately what's going to be best for them because it's out of sync with um, their nature. Mm. So Isaac Gorski again says, ideologues focus so much on pronouns, but they wouldn't be able to for figure out how to win a game of Scrabble without changing the rules. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, because, uh, wait, do you get points for certain things like pronouns? And I don't understand. You don't get points for pronouns, you've, but you've lost um, me on that. Maybe it, I don't know if it's the game specifically, but uh, maybe it's you know you, they're they're willing to mess with the rules of reality in order to gain the advantage that they want. So if you okay. play a board game, they would do the same. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too deeply about Isaac, it. Isaac, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, randomly, Epic says the only neo pronoun I'll use is clown because that's accurate. <laughs> Average. Gosh. Don't you think you would have done too well on today's panel. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. Julian Giangrande says Hunter is annoying. I thought Hunter was reasonably respectful in this debate. Yeah, I think he might he may get a little bit more heated in his like other stuff that he does. I think he streams and has like TikTok clips and stuff. But no, he was he was really reasonable in this video. Uh, Drotz. 
DrakTiskZZ says, hi from Finland. Uh, first time catching oh. you live. Nice to see how many Finns listen to you. Yeah, we noted that the other day. Yeah. Gives me hope for my country. Keep spreading the love, you two. What is the, what, what do you call them? Fin, Finland, Finlanders? <laughs> I think it's just Finnish. Fins. You just call them Fins. Okay. Two ends. We have we do have a lot of Fins who who watch the show, which is just shocking. I don't know why it's shocking, but it's shocking. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say like it's an obscure country, but it's kind of obscure. Yeah, it's kind for of us. obscure. Yeah. Uh, but well, love it. Uh, Cam Higby says, "Miss y'all. Hope you're doing well. What's up, Cam? Hey, Cam. Producer Cam. Miss Hearts you in the Switching Bay. <laughs> it's been a while. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't remember when was the last time Cam was on the show." For all the OG people, I don't even know if that's OG at this point. You had to be here like a couple months ago. Yeah, it's been a few months. <laughs> it's been a few months. Cam used to run boards on the show. Yeah, thanks for hanging out, tuning in, Cam. Mm -hmm. Miss you, bro. Uh, Lorraine Grubb says, Democrats think they're more compassionate, but their solutions don't work. The best advice is from a book. When helping hurts, the answers are in the middle. Or the book's named When Helping Hurts. Ah. The answers are in the middle, and the extremes need to listen. Yeah. To you for thank you for this. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, that that whole debate about compassion. Compassion shows in a lot of different ways, and sometimes uh, intent. While your intent may be one of compassion, your results can be you know the exact opposite. So that's something to always bear in mind. Uh, Brittany Maddox says, first live, your voices help me solidify my personal beliefs and be cool. confident in expressing them to find a partner." Uh, should the that. man always make more money? Should the man no? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I I don't have any like hard and fast rule on who should make more in a relationship. You guys are in the position that you're in. You make the amount of money that you make. If you love somebody, which has nothing to do with money or anything material, that transcends all. Uh, it's, it actually frustrates me to hear women say like, he needs to make 200K or 500K or whatever. I'm not going to go on a date with him. It's just like, girl, okay, be, I can't wait till you're in some like shallow relationship that has, that is not founded in actual love or value because you used money as like this basis uh, of, of choosing your partner. So no, I think you can make more as long as you're with somebody who is comfortable with that. Uh, and it doesn't create a, a rift in your relationship. And even if it does, if you are with somebody who you love and they love you, you guys should overcome that and quickly because it's a good problem to have. It's a great problem to have. And we'll get more into that discussion on Saturday's video yes. forthcoming in which we're talking about modern women's dating standards. Yes, that's going to be a fun one. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Vicky Bell says, I like this Jubilee episode. I think because everyone there did change their minds at some point, it's easier to listen to them because you can tell they at least try to think for themselves. Yep. And then you have more respect for the person you're talking to who's on the other side because you once were there and you can like understand the logic that they've used to get there or the experience they've used to get there. So it makes for a much easier conversation that way. Yeah. This was clearly like a self-selected group of people who have had the ability to question what they have previously believed. And anytime you just have a little bit of healthy self-skepticism mm -hmm. that makes for a better, more productive conversation. It's the people who are absolutely certain of the, the correctness of their worldview on every possible point mm -hmm. that become people you can't really have productive discussions with. Uh, let's see. RJ7 Adventure Ready says, uh, watch the video of hunters on YouTube in regard to trans identity. Trans women should be, 
Um, this is hard. I'm just going to read the letters. He said, trans W should be W and TM should be M. So trans women should be women, women and, and trans, trans men, men should be men. men. Though he made a compelling argument to sympathize for trans people slash non-binary, how do you justify a visit to the doctors? How do you justify a visit to the doctors? I don't, I'm not quite following how like the, you're saying, the question follows from he, everything else. Uh, I'm saying, um, is he saying that even when you go to the doctor that it's going to, you're going to get to the bottom line that your identity is in fact not what your biology dictates, maybe? That would be that would be a good point if that's the point he's making. Yeah, I think yeah. if that's the point you're making, I, I stand right. by. <laughs> I support you. Sorry, RJ. Points. Sorry. I know it's limited characters. We <laughs> gotta try to decipher the answer. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Chapman says, "Whoa, America first, Amala." Lol. Uh, I understand where you're coming from, but I disagree. I think sending aid to Israel and Ukraine is very important. Yeah, I mean, if we can agree to disagree on on that, I'm not saying that it's unimportant or that America should never help uh, other people in need. I just think uh, if you're an American citizen sending your tax dollars to your government, that is supposed to be specific to you and your fellow citizen. So if you and your fellow citizen are not taken care of before that, you know, tens of billions of dollars is sent to another country, then we have a problem. So, and, you know, I think America First comes with a lot of, it comes with like an undercurrent of thinking that America is better than other countries with the way that it's phrased and I think with the way that people take it in. But it's just to say that if I give my money to my country, it should come back to my country in, in full force before it goes to others. I'm all for helping, you know, other people who are struggling. Uh, I still don't stand by the money sent to Ukraine or, or Israel. Most definitely not. Dansu Duhast says, Amala, I was wondering if you would ever have Anna Kasparian or Brianna Joy Gray on your show. Would love to see y'all have a conversation. I don't, I don't know the second woman, but I do know Anna Kasparian. And I don't know. She, I'm, I'm open to having her on. We tried once, remember? We did. Oh, yes. Okay, so we did. We reached out to Anna Kasparian. Uh, shout out to my girl, Sabrina. It used to be PR. <laughs> um, she reached out to Anna Kasparian and was like, hey, we'd love to have you on the show. And then she made this whole big deal about it, right? Because I worked at PragerU at the time and she's like, PragerU has reached out to have me on one of their shows and I think Dennis Prager is disgusting. I think he's garbage. And we're not friends is what she said. Yeah, yeah. we're not friends. I don't want to have a discussion with you or whatever. Now, Anna Kasparian is seeing a very different tune, mind you, towards conservatives and towards conservative beliefs, which, again, uh, we give grace to those in the midst of their pendulum swing, but she was a little catty, okay? And we went back and looked at the screenshot of the message that Sabrina sent her, and it was literally like, hey, Anna, like, we see that you're talking about... I think crime is what she was talking about. And we mm -hmm. happen to have a lot of middle ground on this issue. We would love to get two people from opposing sides to sit together and have a conversation about it. And I think it would encourage like healthy dialogue. It was something to that effect. And her response was to go on her show and say, they're not friends. Prager you is garbage. I hate Dennis Prager. It's just like, okay. It just makes you view the person differently because there's no way that you like in good conscience are having that response to what was a very like benign, if not genuinely welcoming comment. So you must have to like twist things in your brain and twist it for the public in order to have a response like that, that mind you, she put on her show for hundreds of thousands of people to see. 
Right. You want to say, well, maybe her PR person didn't communicate all the nuance of how we asked or whatever. But yeah. if you're going to go on air and talk about it on your platform, you better like get the facts straight and, and know the context in which you're being asked. And yeah, that was that was not a good look. But no. I think she's since come out even more like a little bit more moderate, a little bit more willing to mm-hmm. have discussions. So I don't know. I mean, do we show extra compassion and, and uh, <laughs> be open again? I don't know. I would, uh, I would, I wouldn't. I'm- I'm open to it, and but it's just uh, interesting now that she's been completely like beaten up by leftists for saying some yeah. of the things that she said. That I'd be curious to see what her response is now to being on the show. And I know Brianna Joe Gray is here on Twitter, um, and I think she does news hits from time to time. But she's a uh, leftist. I think she worked on the Bernie Sanders campaign, and is uh, just kind of like an outspoken um, leftist. But yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna get some more. I was about to say spicy content, but that <laughs> kind of sounds weird. Uh, more <laughs> <laughs> engaging. These days, you stuff, can't say that. Debate worthy. Uh, yeah. Uh, Stemple nineteen says, "I have experienced the experience of being on both sides of this, having gone from right to left to right. Very jarring both times, and different quote unquote right than I was." Hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine. There's a lot, which is so funny because we view it as like a, this was such a significant moment in my life when I changed from one side to the other and people make a big deal out of it. But now in retrospect, I'm like, that shouldn't be that big of a deal. And the fact that we're making it a big deal actually gives more weight to it than it should have. If you have a change in ideology or a change in opinion, that's totally normal and natural for human beings. So we shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, Anna Kasparian is changing her tune on this. Or like, Amala went from left to conservative or what? Whatever. We should just go, oh, you changed your mind on that. That's cool. Moving on. <laughs> because we can't give it that much weight anymore. It, may, it actually undermines the idea that people should do that freely. Penny Sandor says, hey there, Penny from Hungary, and I live in Finland. Another f- Finland. Another Finn. Fin. Another Finn. <laughs> You know, like hold that head for a second. <laughs> that thin. Uh, I love you guys so much. I feel like schools, especially in the U.S., don't teach critical thinking enough, and those mm-hmm. teachers who do get silenced. Or those teachers who do teach it get silenced. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, the, the state of our education system, and probably the state of worldwide education, is not not great right now. It's very distasteful. No, indeed. Uh, Celtic Blacksmith says, I'm a bit late. I thought I missed your live yesterday. You're toying with my abandonment issues. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to hear about your boyfriend's friend, though. Yeah, thank you so much. I I really appreciate that. And yeah, we wanted to make up for the the lack of live yesterday by doing one today. So hopefully this makes up for it, guys. Forgive us. Didn't abandon you. (laughs) Stephanie Fonseca says, you two helped me stay rational. Found out. The Rap Race War by Tom McDonald when looking into the Matt Petgrave story yesterday. Have y'all heard that rap yet? Haven't heard the rap and haven't heard of that story. Have you? Uh, the Matt Petgra- Petgrave story? Isn't mm-hmm. that the ice hockey guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know much about that story in particular, but I have listened to Tom McDonald. I did tell you guys this, and this is not to be rude or anyway, but I'm not a fan of Tom McDonald. And I really do love rap music, so I will like give... I'll give my my cred for my to my personal taste when I when it works, but to me it's just not it's not that good. Although I can stand behind the message, like okay, cool message and good. He found his like niche and he's that's his story. He's sticking to it. <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't me. listened much, but it's good to know you're a racist. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I love Eminem. Update on, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, hate his course. politics. 
Oh, you have, let me guess. You have a white friend. <laughs> um, but I did see that they made an arrest. I think they arrested the guy who the hockey player who um, killed that guy. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a tough case, I think. Yeah. Tough case. Yeah. Eva or Ava says, hello, I'm Lynn Taylor. Always great watching you and hearing what you have to say. I have more to say, but I can't. So I'll leave it in the comments. <laughs> All right. We'll be watching Thank the you. comments. Yeah, we need to like lobby, uh, lobby YouTube to make the super chats a little longer. Not too long, because I know y'all will be writing essays in there, but <laughs> mm-hmm. a little longer. Uh, Megan Khan says, I used to be moderate and I don't think my views have changed, but because the world has changed, I'm more right leaning. Yeah, it's as, a lot of people as, feel that way. as people go more and more left, you feel like you're moving more right, even though you're standing in the same place. It's kind of like when you're at the beach and uh, you stand in one spot, but the waves move and it feels like <laughs> you've, you've moved like 40 feet, even though you haven't moved. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 just like that. Yeah, you put your stuff down and the tide comes in and yep. all of a sudden you're sitting in water. <laughs> Let's just keep going with these analogies. I'm just yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Maidan Haidar says, Amala, just as you talked before about your political beliefs transition, did you experience that also regarding religion? Can you talk a bit about that? I've never been a religious individual, so I can't say that I've ever had a transition in, in that sense. I've just um, never, never been a believer, never stuck for me. I did as a kid, you know, uh, like during summer, there'd be like VBS camp vacation bible school so i did do that a little bit um and yeah here and there was introduced to a lot of different uh religious beliefs like even though uh, we were not a religious family we'd go to church every now and then and you know check out what people were saying and thinking and it's just never really never really stuck for me never 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 gotten through but all of the Books y'all send her are wearing her down. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've got like like seven Book of Mormons. I've got a few like annotated Bibles that you guys send me and stuff. (laughs) So far, it has not changed my mind. But you know what? I I appreciate that you guys have something that is important to you that you want me to be in on. (laughs) (laughs) You know it comes from a nice place. (laughs) We hope. Uh Dr. Swain says you should watch Helen Joyce's debate on if trans ideology threatens liberal values. It's a popcorn grabber for sure. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Helen Joyce. I think I might have seen that in my YouTube recommendeds. Probably. I've I've seen her name a lot and I follow her on Twitter. I'll check Uh, that out. Setma Dude says nice tats was a joke. Thanks for getting it. Okay, so I got it without getting it. It went over my head, but I still understood. Uh, yeah, says, hey, AMMA and Tayslay, love you guys' work. I'm currently listening to you guys while on the job working in a mail order warehouse has its perks. Keep up the good work. In a mail order warehouse? What is that? What is a mail order warehouse? You know, I don't know. I mean, people, you know what a mail order is, like people send in through the mail to order something and maybe a warehouse. No, you know where my brain immediately went to? It went to like mail order brides. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what the heck is a mail order warehouse? Okay. But you know, now the more, you know, my mind went to uh, buddy, the elf working in the mail room on, on that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Where he's drinking the whiskey and stuff. Oh man. Fun fact. One of my jobs in, uh, right after high school, I worked in a like rebate, fulfillment uh center for tires Mm -hmm. so people would 
you know, send in their mail in rebates and we'd, I'd have to like get a huge stack of them and like process each of the documents and check if they're accurate and everything before oh they could gosh. get their rebate issued. Sounds it like was, a lot. Sounds like your eyeballs would hurt at the end of the day. Oh. I could you could have used a podcast like this to listen to back yeah. then. Of course, I don't think podcasts were really a thing. Yeah, right. When I was like 2007 or mm. 8. I don't know. Dating myself. Um, Anisha says, just tuning in before I go to sleep. It's almost 12 o'clock here in Rotterdam. Does anyone have a nice bedtime story? Rotterdam? Rotterdam? Where Netherlands. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Very, very cool. I don't have a bedtime story for you. I just told you one about my high school job. There what was go. a high school job of yours, Amala? I worked at a traveling pizza company. Uh, and uh, shout out to them, which is so funny because we were talking about religion and uh, the owner of the company was religious. So the name of the traveling pizza company was Shadrach's Fiery Furnace, uh, which if you are in, in Florida... <laughs> You guys can go get pizza there. It's a legit, uh, legit place, um, <laughs> which is funny. But I guess there's no humans burned in that story. So, yeah, it's, you know, so there you okay. go. It works out. I guess it's, it's it's sort of empowering, I guess, at the end of the day uh, <laughs> through the, the Christian mindset. But and if you and if you don't know the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, it doesn't really matter. You just hear Shadrach, sorry, furnace. And you're like, OK, that's cool. Uh, but, yeah, I've worked every position at that traveling pizza company. I did, you know, cashier. I made the pizzas. I was out in the oven, you know, flipping those, flipping them and grating them and all that stuff. So that was my job. And I got to go to a lot of free concerts because we would just like have sell pizza at concerts and stuff. So it was a cool high school job. Shout out to shout out to my boy Gary at Shadrax. <laughs> and now Anisha is fast asleep after that yes, she uh, is. calming bedtime story. <laughs> uh, Celtic Blacksmith again says, I think government programs are useless, as useless as an ashtray on a motorcycle, but to each their own. And fleece my home, mm. or whatever it is that Amala says. <laughs> to each their own, Charlize their own. <laughs> I need to start coming up with different iterations of that now that you've, now that you've said that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's another thing we need to put on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dig says this show makes the top five five list easily. Hey, love that. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, and I got a couple more here. Okay. Kiara Zira says. Hey, love you guys. Questions for both of you. What are your thoughts on Vivek Ramaswamy? Have either of you been watching the debates? I have not watched the debates uh, since the first ones because I'm like, it's too theatrical. It just sounds like it, it's like a, a Comedy Central roast, but nobody's really funny. So it's kind of just really hard to watch. Uh, so no, don't watch the debates. I've seen a lot of Vivek stuff because he goes to a lot of like independent media sources to interview. While I will not endorse any candidates, I will say that uh, there's a lot of stuff that he says that I agree with. I think his anti-war position right now is really, really solid and deserves to be spoken about, I can tell you one person who I do not like is Nikki Haley. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. I'm not even convinced that she's truly trying to run for president at this point with all the stuff that she's putting out on the internet and just willingly saying with her full chest. It's just so crazy to me. I think she has like ulterior motives. Like I don't know what she's benefiting from this because she's not getting a presidential spot. The stuff that she's saying is ridiculous. Redamdiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I don't watch the debates either. I I do follow politics with like a, a weekly podcast I listen to, but just to kind of keep tabs on what's going on. Um, Vivek, I he 
especially early on, I really liked a lot of what he was saying. Um, it's gotten to be a little bit performative for me and kind of just uh, meh. Um, but mm-hmm. I guess all politics seems to be fated to be that way. Um, so, yeah, not, no, no strong opinions yep. there. And then Nikki Haley, I think she's just kind of like your mom's Republican, like from a different gender, not your mom specifically, right. but like, <laughs> right. you know, um, definitely from the like prior generation. And I think she does have a lot of appeal to people who are not on the Internet and people like who are not 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 even Gen Z, but even like people yeah. just who are on the Twitter sphere. Everyone hates her. <clears throat> but out there in like uh, Fox News watching world, there's a lot of people who uh, are giving her a lot of support. And she supposedly has a lot of traction in Iowa. I don't think she'll win. I don't think anyone's going to beat Trump, but she deserves we none shall of it. see. She deserves none of it. That woman is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyways. Yeah. Says, dang character limits. I work at a Christian bookstore and we send out books and miscellaneous gifts via mail order. Closest thing to a bride is one of our willow tree figurines. <laughs> that is good. It would be very weird if the Christian bookstore was, in fact, selling mail order brides. <laughs> that would that would not be a good look. <laughs> but it's good to know. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the clarity on on that. I think I'm the only one who thought of mail order bride. Uh, directly after hearing where you work. So uh, that was just me. My bad. <laughs> so. I don't know. May, it might, might be an age thing, too, if you've never, like, placed a mail order. I've never yeah. even, I don't mean maybe once in my life, like, done a mail order. It's kind of like an antiquated thing, it feels yeah, like. No. But, uh, yeah. Definitely not. If that's the only time you ever hear it is in reference to mail order brides, I guess. It makes sense. Mm. Uh, Christopher Alcine says, another great live. Have you heard about the 15 black high schoolers that killed a white student in Las Vegas. I did. Uh, and that was just yeah. absolutely horrendous. It was one of those things where I saw the video and was just like, oh gosh, I cannot watch or see this. And it was just too much. It's just devastating. And I can't imagine uh, what that kid must have gone through, what his family must be going through. It's just heart-wrenching. Um, Frank Mayen just sends an, emo- an angry emoji message so hopefully we didn't make you mad oh the the chat is rife with frank's angry emoji messages oh hi frank (laughs) i hope you have a better day frank upset yeah (laughs) kevin chapman says my heart's broken i like nikki haley and i think that's the last one i'm so sorry yeah no nikki haley she lost me with her ammunition heels her anti that was awkward internet anonymity stuff her pro Israel just not it's one thing to be pro-Israel it's another thing to be Nikki Haley being pro-Israel it's a whole nother uh can of worms that we won't get into on today's show before we've already been live for two hours guys maybe another day (laughs) I'm feeling I'm feeling particularly uh particularly bombastic in in sharing my opinions today but we're not gonna get into that right now we did get Yeah, does that mean we're not going to get into this one? Oh, we did get another one. Okay, well, Seth Allen says, thoughts on Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens situation. Here's the context that I have, okay? So you guys can fill me in if I'm missing anything on this situation. What had happened was the video of Ben Shapiro went viral of him saying what Candace Owens is absolutely disgraceful for her takes right now. and, uh, And I think for her takes on Israel and Palestine uh, and he was talking about her seemingly at a private event where this got videoed and put out. And it was a really, really aggressive take towards Candace. I found it to be very strange, although I I think many of you 
if you're on the same wavelength as me, will agree that since the beginning of the conflict with what happened with Hamas on October 7th, uh, Ben Shapiro has been uh, extremely aggressive and so much so that I don't listen to what he says anymore. Uh, and I'll, I'll be happy to go back and listen to Ben Shapiro when he calms down a little bit. Uh, and some of you may agree with the amount of aggressiveness that he has now. I don't personally. All it seemed to me that Candace was saying was, yes, what happened on October 7th is absolutely atrocious. I condemn Hamas, which I stand by as well. And she's saying, but I don't like to hear about what Israel's doing uh, to the Palestinians, which is a population of 50% children. And there's a lot of children losing their lives. Thousands of children have, have lost their lives now since what happened on October 7th. So I don't know why that statement uh, warrants him calling her absolutely disgraceful. So and th that's it, and that's where I stand on that. But I will also say, I don't get bogged down in the drama between you know the personalities at the Daily Wire. I think it is yet another distraction to things. Not that it's a purposeful distraction, it's just a side effect uh, to the current conflict and animosity that people have for, for one another. Candace is echoing the opinions of millions of other people on the issue. Ben is echoing the opinions of millions of other people on the issue. I don't really hold too much stake in either of them. Uh, not that they don't deserve it or they're not like great and, and super intelligent. It's just to say uh, that I, I don't pay attention all that much to other people's uh, influence on the issue. But if I had to choose a, a side that I would lean on for this particular drama spat between the two of them, it's most definitely Candace. So yeah, that's where I stand on that. Uh, I'll give my very brief two cents is just that uh, I don't think Candace necessarily articulated her position as well as you articulated it or uh -huh. as, as, as gently and made some other insinuations. Uh, and I don't I can't co-sign on uh, all of Ben's approach to the the conversation. I understand it's obviously going to be his absolutely most passionate slash you know sensitive spot issue. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I I I don't know that I'm really picking sides, but I I would absolutely if Ben is interpreting interpreting what she's saying as like drawing a moral equivalence between. Uh, between Hamas and the uh, Israelis. I don't, I, yeah, I can't co-sign what Candace would be saying there. But uh, anyway, I'm just trying to give voice to the opposite side to, sure. so that people know that even you and I may have a little bit of distance on, on this. Yeah. Um, but anyways, we have another super chat to move on. To okay, yeah, topic. no worries. <laughs> um, Christopher Alcine says, can't wait to see Candace at America Fest here in Arizona. You guys should do a meet and greet. No, I won't be there. Uh, <laughs> what, where, who puts that on? TPUSA? Uh, I guess, yeah. I've, but, I've managed to stay away from wait, America Fest? No, I don't think it is TPUSA. Is who it? does that? But, but either way, um, I don't know why he said you should do a meet and greet when he's going to see Candace. <laughs> I, yeah, I... I by and large, I don't know why, but I just don't go to uh, conferences like this. I don't know why I don't do it, but I just uh, I just don't. I don't know who puts this on. I'm looking at the menu of the site. More info. Who does this? Oh, yeah, it is TPUSA. So it's a 
Charlie Kirk Candace kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I will not be there, but maybe. Uh, in the past, Candace and I have been on, you know, shows together. We did Dr. Phil together. I've been on the Candace show a number of times back when she was doing it in a sort of panel way. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Maybe in the future. Uh, one last one came in from Gabby Chen. Uh, good one to end on. I am a former Marine and I reached out for help. Thank you. Oh, you reached. Oh, that is wonderful. Okay, that is a brilliant note to end yeah. uh, today's show on. And Gabby, thank you so much for doing that. And I'm so glad that you decided to do that. Uh, again, guys, if you are just getting into the show or you haven't heard the beginning of this show, if you are ever you know, struggling in, in life with, with anything and it's getting to a point where you can't take it anymore, even before then, be proactive about your feelings, uh, especially feelings of depression and despair, and reach out to people. I guarantee that there is somebody out there who would jump at the chance uh, to listen to you, to help you, whether it's somebody you know or, or a stranger, doesn't matter. Uh, reach out to somebody and ask for help. It's no shame in asking for help. So, Gabby, thank you for taking that step and doing so in a public way and letting people know that that's what you've done. Yeah, guys, show some love for Gabby in the chat. That's awesome. Yes. And we did get one more super chat here. Uh, X -dys Dysentery LX says, <laughs> hey, guys, first time live. Unrelated question. I've been watch wanting your opinion on if MLK were alive today, do you think, how do you think Americans would receive his message? Black Americans would receive hmm. his message. I don't know. Well, if he, it's hard to answer. If he were alive today, there would have been a whole other thing that happened with the, the civil rights movement. It could have gone in a totally different direction. It's kind of like that whole butterfly effect. If he had survived that day, many things would be different. We don't even know what the state of black America would be uh, if, if that was what happened. So I don't know that I can give an answer to that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't I, I don't think at the end of the day, many woke people would take to that idea, given that it is sort of antithetical to what they believe now. But I can't say that it may not be something that they would come around to. It's a hard hypothetical to engage with, I must admit. Yeah, I think the biggest difference between then and now is our grasp of the uh, enduring, like, goodness of the American values on which the country was founded and the like sort of universal ideas of equality um, and being made in God's image, things like that, that we had back then was much stronger. Now we have a much looser grasp of those ideals that unite us. And that is what uh, that is what Martin MLK appealed to by and large to sort of bring the whole movement together. And so because those um, those ideals have atrophied in modern times. I don't think that it would be as well received. Yeah, um, it's powerful. Last one, and we're getting the heck out of here. Yeah, Allie Love we are. says, big Colorado fan over here. Don't always agree with her, but love hearing her perspectives. I never know what 
I'm going to get, and I like the challenge of thought. Ah, I'm assuming me is her. I'm I'm yeah. her? Okay, great. I appreciate that. That's awesome. I love that. I love that this is a place that you can go, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, and we can just, you know, duke it out, talk about it, and uh, engage with one another. That is 100% the goal of this channel and this show. And with that, that closes out our episode reacting to former conservatives versus former liberals on Jubilee Middle Ground. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Oh. What she meant that? Candace Owens. I said write it as Colorado. Oh, so she's a Candace Owens. Owens fan, doesn't always agree with her, never knows what she's going to get likes challenge. Just as good. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Big Colorado fan. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. That works too. Uh, I can see how that is an honest mistake. Uh, no, but that's great. Uh, I think we should always engage with people, even though we can't agree with everything. That's most people in your life. You're never going to agree with somebody 100%. With that being said, guys, like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single time we're live. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, although today is Thursday. This is a special occasion. 1 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Eastern. Plus, we post videos for you guys every single day. I'll see you tomorrow for Friday's live show. Can't wait to have a fun Friday with you guys. And again, uh, as we said at the start of the show, if you are struggling, reach out to somebody. Have a deep and meaningful conversation about exactly what it is you are struggling with and uh, face it. Face it, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how hard it may be. And with that, have a fantastic rest of your Thursday. Bye, guys.